1: Those Those who feared that they they were worth little to God have have found found blessing in God's sight. For in the mercy and love of God, the blind shall see, the lame shall walk without pain. Those who could not hear shall be blessed with hearing, and there shall be peace. God's God's mercy and and love is poured out for our parched souls. Behold, the Lord's compassion is with God's people. Believe in the the power power of God God in all things, and and let us worship our God. Our first scripture reading this morning comes to us from the book of the prophet Zephaniah, chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. Biblical scholars often call this section of Zephaniah a song of joy, providing a prophetic glance at the kingdom of God, of the future in which all the world unites and turns to God. Listen for how God may be speaking to you through God's holy word this morning. Sing aloud, O daughter Zion, shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. A warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will exult over you with loud singing as on a day of festival. I will remove disaster from you so that you will not bear reproach for it. I will deal with all your oppressors at that time, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast. I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you home. At that time, I will gather you, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord.
0: Let's continue to listen to God's word to you and to me from the pen of the prophet Isaiah, 12th chapter, verses 12 through 6, 2 through 6. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my might He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds among the nations, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be known in all the earth. Shout aloud and sing for joy, O royal Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before I invite you to join me in prayer, in an attempt to be proficient, we often give our sermon titles uh, several weeks in advance to our communications ministry department. And every once in a while, the preacher gives a title and then starts working on the sermon and realizes that there needs to be a totally different direction so volume and value you can scrap and if you need a sermon title if you're a good Presbyterian and love your sermon title I would call this the right kind of alliance the right kind of alliance let us pray gracious God we give you thanks for the good gifts that you have poured out upon us Lord, our God, we pray that you'd break open the gift of your word afresh to us this day so that we would be different people than those who came into this sacred space this morning even to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. To understand a bit of the context of what's going on in Isaiah 12, we are thrust back in time. The early part of the 8th century BC, when a young man named Ahaz ascended to the throne in Judah. Now, during this particular time, the kingdom of Israel was actually divided into two kingdoms there was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The north was called Israel, and the south was called Judah. And Ahaz has ascended to the throne in the southern territory called Judah. These two kingdoms had distinct monarchs, had distinct ways of understanding who they were in the life of faith, who they were in terms of what God had called them to be and to do. Well, as his tenure began, Ahaz was immediately thrown into a political powder keg. The big, bad, political and military boy on the block was Assyria, Now, I'm going to talk about Syria and Assyria, but right now, know that in this time, Assyria was the empire, was this big force to be reckoned with, and their war machine was on the move. They were on the move, and they were headed toward the north. They were looking to expand their boundaries, to expand their territory, to conquer the whole world. Now, in the north, Israel... Remember, the northern kingdom is Israel. In the north, Israel made an alliance with Syria, also called Aram. Israel makes an alliance with Syria, and they come to their southern neighbor, Judah, and they ask King Ahaz, will you join our alliance? Will you join our coalition? Because Assyria is coming for all of us. They want to take all of our land, and we want you to join our force, our coalition, to stand against this great power. Ahaz, however, refused to make an alliance with Syria and Israel. He was prompted by the word of God that came to him through the prophet Isaiah, saying that that he, he shouldn't make this alliance, that he shouldn't be part of this coalition, that God will actually provide a way of salvation. That in fact, Israel and Syria will be conquered. What is more, Assyria one day, says the prophet Isaiah, will be no more. And that God will save the people. So he says no. Well, the kings of Israel and Syria take revenge on Judah. They want to replace his kingship They want to have a coup. They want to overthrow him. So they have somebody in that throne that will align with their values, with their political ambitions. And so they attack the southern kingdom. They attack Ahaz. Early in his uh, leadership, early in his monarchy, they come and they wreak havoc in the land. 2 Chronicles actually says that Judah in this battle experienced a great number of casualties, and they captured and departed, deported rather a great number of citizens. So all this is going on when Isaiah is speaking to the king. That's the context of Isaiah 12, that Isaiah says that you should still hold strong, not in an alliance to Syria or Israel, not in an alliance to us Syria, but you should have an alliance with the God who will save you. But of course if you're Ahaz in this and you're seeing what's happening, you're tempted to call that big bad political and military force and say hey can you help us out? Can you uh, defend us? There's obvious reasons that Ahaz would reach out to this bigger devil. Because this bigger devil had some power and could protect them. But Isaiah continues to speak. Isaiah continues to speak to the king and says, Look, do not make an alliance with anyone. Do not pledge yourself to anyone but to God. And this is right from Isaiah 12. Because there will be, says the prophet, a day of salvation when all of your enemies will be put down. That God will do this. That God will make a way. Surely, says the prophet, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid for the Lord God is my strength and my might. He has become my salvation. Do you notice what the hymn didn't say? Now you know the context. It didn't say this. Surely Assyria is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid for the Assyrian army is my strength and my might you understand the context now how subversive this is as a is trying to decide whether or not to collaborate with this big devil well maybe it was political expediency or maybe it was the casualties that he saw maybe it was the the northern force continuing to press in on him or maybe it was what people sometimes say when god gives us a word that seems too impractical for our time do you know what i mean when God gives us a word and we say to ourselves, you know what, that sounds good in the Bible, it sounds good coming out of the words of Jesus from the prophets, but, but it's far too impractical for our situation. You know, things like bless those who curse you, or turn the other cheek, or love God, not money, or forgive your enemies, or welcome the stranger. You know those things that Jesus happened to say that are far too impractical for our time and our place. Maybe it was a moment like that for Ahaz. Saying, you know, I, I know that God is saying to the prophet that God's going to save us, but, but I'm going to hedge my bets. I'm going I'm to go with the Assyrian empire. And that's what he does. Because the scripture is, is so full of life, we have other texts in the Bible that talk about this whole situation. And one of those texts is 2 Kings, the 7th chapter. Ahaz sent messengers to the king of Assyria. Listen to this. saying, I am your servant and your son. To the king of Assyria, not to God. Not saying, God, I'm your servant, I'm your son. Saying it to the king of Assyria, I am your servant, I am your son. Come up and rescue me. Not God. The king, come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. Ahaz, listen to this, also took the silver and gold found in the house of the Lord And in the treasures of the king's house, and he sent a present, sent a little bribe, to the king of Assyria. Ahaz replaces a pledge to God with a pledge to this foreign king. Ahaz ascribes to Assyria what God, through the words of the prophet, says only belongs to God himself. And that is salvation. But this is what we call idolatry, right? When we ascribe to something else that which only God can do. And Ahaz sells out to the big devil of the time. I was thinking about this text and its background and I was thinking about how good human beings are. How proficient we are in actually forming alliances, right? How good we are at forming coalitions and maintaining them from politics to sports to business to social networks to religious life, right? Human beings, we are very good at creating these coalitions, creating groups, drawing lines in the sand and say we belong here and you belong there. And I think we form these affiliations, we we form these alliances Primarily for two reasons, there's probably more reasons, but primarily for these two reasons. First, an alliance is one way, it's one way we define our identity, right? It's one way we say who we are. By aligning with this group or this team or this political ideology, I'm saying something about myself. This is what I believe. This is what I stand for. And I want to be with like-minded people who believe and stand for the same things. So the first thing it does is it defines our identity in a certain way. Second, an alliance also is a way my values and interests are reinforced or achieved or satisfied, right? I'll align myself with other like-minded people. We'll pool our resources together to accomplish a common goal, to accomplish a common interest or ambition. And as we saw in this text from the 8th century BCE, we see that alliances are as old as time, really, I mean, they've been around forever, whether it was two farmers sharing resources to cultivate land or multiple governments aligning to defeat a common enemy or top level athletes signing as free agents with the same team so they can win a championship, alliances are part of life. We do alliances and we do them quite well. They define us, our identity, and they help accomplish our goals or maintain our self-interest. Unless we think otherwise, contemporary Christians and contemporary churches are also very good at forming alliances, aren't we? After all, it was the modern Christian that invented and continues to invent the notion of denominations, right? Denominations as a way to express our theological and ecclesiastical boundaries and our convictions. We also invented the concept of church membership. You know, the book of Acts, they didn't have on ramp. They didn't have a way that you formally pledged yourself to the community of faith. The way that that was symbolized was just through your baptism and through your participation in the life of the community and living according to the way of Jesus. We bring people together in the church to create nonprofits and other organizations to carry out the vision. That we have, at least as we think of it to be, when it comes to God's will, how we interpret it. We'll even partner with secular organizations. We'll even partner with political agendas. And even partner with the most unlikely of people if we believe they will help enhance what we perceive to be just. To be good. To be right. And as we have certainly seen evidenced in our current public political discourse... Christians of all stripes, of all kinds are aligning with this candidate or that candidate. Christians of all stripes, of all kinds are are leaning toward this political agenda or leaning toward that political agenda. Christians of all stripes are leaning toward this party or that party because they believe these individuals and these entities' views are most consistent, and we're thinking very highly of Christians, are most consistent with their biblical worldview. There may be other reasons. I'm thinking highly of everybody here because of our biblical worldview or of our theological convictions. That's why we align. Of course, there is an inherent danger in this type of alignment, and this may be the part where I go from preaching to meddling. One could be convinced about the rightness of their opinion. One can be convinced about the rightness of a certain political ideology and allow that ideology to shape the way they actually read Scripture or the way they do theology or the way they act ethically in the world. Right, we know this. The discipline of theology and biblical interpretation is not a pure science. Right, it's done by frail, broken, sinful, and limited individuals that bring to the sacred texts certain subjective presuppositions. We all approach the Bible, we all approach theology with a subjectivity. There is no pure reading of the Bible. Because we're the ones who are reading it and we are less than pure. And the way we talk about God and the way that we live out our faith is is shaped by some of this. For example, if I have become convicted about a particular political agenda, right, let's say I have some political agenda in mind and I think it's the right thing, I may be tempted to read the agenda back into the scriptures or read the agenda into my theology instead of having the scriptures set the pace or Christian theology set the pace for how I engage politically or ethically in the world. Do you see the difference? It's a a cart before the horse kind of challenge, kind of conversation. Does our political worldview shape the way we read the scriptures? Or do the scriptures shape our political worldview? The Christian, I, I want to be very clear about this. The Christian engages that challenge with the utmost sincerity. Because she believes the Bible to be the word of God. Because she believes... The Bible to be the way that the church has understood God's communication in part to the body of Christ. He takes it with sincerity because he knows that to claim Jesus as Lord and Savior means to preference his word above every other word. That's why we take this challenge seriously. As a the theological declaration of Barman states, Jesus Christ as he has attested for us in Holy Scripture, is the one word of God, which we have to hear, and which we have to trust and obey in life and in death. We reject the false doctrine as though the church could and would have to acknowledge as a source of its proclamation. Apart from and besides this one word of God, still other events and powers, figures, and truths as God's revelation. That will preach today. In the life of the church, that will preach. For the Christian and for the church, any alliance that we make, any alliance that we make as Christians or as a larger church, any alliance that we make, whether it be a secular alliance or a sacred alliance, must be vetted through the lens of Jesus Christ. It must be vetted through the lens of Jesus Christ and his word and his life and his death and his resurrection and his mission to reconcile and redeem all things to God. Any alliance that we make must be made through Christ and in Christ. He must lead, he must dictate the ways in which we collaborate for God's good in the world. And so as we prepare for his coming, and continue to prepare for his coming in this Advent season, may we remember that, that what he came to accomplish was spoken out of his own mouth, with his own lips. He He said what he came to do. In Luke chapter 4, remember these words. Jesus said, I've come because God has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the year of jubilee. This is his word. This is his word. And this is his mission. And all of our alliances must be defined By the Spirit's call to collaborate with him. To collaborate with his witness, sacred and secular, as he puts the world to rights. So I want to close the loop on Ahaz, on alliances, and on this sermon. Ahaz veered from the word of God that was spoken to him through the prophet Isaiah. Going against that word, he trusted in an alliance with Assyria. He sold his soul to a big devil. And subsequently, the scriptures tell us, and they're very clear about this, that he lost favor with God. Replacing his call to be a servant of the Lord, a witness of the word of God, he traded allegiances and trusted in a human earthly power to be his salvation. He compromised his faith, he compromised his obedience. And he exchanged his hope in God for something else. And so I think the word this morning is actually quite simple, church. I think it's pretty straightforward. As people are vying for our allegiance. And as entities are calling us to join them. May we stay aligned with God first and foremost. For only God can save. May we preference God's word above every other word. And when you make alliances, and you will, and we do, and there'll be more to come, let us make sure that they are formed and rooted in the word of God. Not in political expediency, not in self-interest, not because it's the safe thing to do, but to root it in the word of God. Our alliances should preference and prioritize Christ's prophetic lordship his word and his mission may we make those alliances for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the world and all of god's people say amen
1: let us pray may the celebration of this holy meal and the remembrance of christ's acts of compassion and mercy embolden our own words and deeds as we live as forgiven sinners who have been saved by grace May we take that grace and compassion out into the world, commissioned as followers of Jesus Christ, to be his hands and feet in our city, our country, and to the ends of the earth. Amen.
0: Friends, if you do not receive uh, our chimes electronically, I'd encourage you to take one home with you from the pews. Uh, The the front cover of this edition has all of the remaining Advent services and Christmas Eve services as well. And so for those in town, I would encourage you uh, to find places where you can connect and worship as we continue to press on in this Advent season. And as we go from this place to a class or back home, the business of our day, may we put in first place the word of Christ may his word take a first place in our life may we give that word preference in all that we do in the alliances that we make in the ways in which we live in and for the world may his word shape us may his word lead us may his word guide us and may his peace which goes beyond all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in him. May his peace live inside of you this day and every day of your life. Amen. And go in peace.